sell their Coca-Cola, some will sell their energy. Some will look the other way when there are things they should not see. Ooh, ooh, you're ruled by fear, you're ruled by passion. Yeah, that ain't okay. Ha, ha, you're laughing that laugh because you know it's in fashion. Yeah, I look away because I'm okay. I would rather hide in the pretty pictures Like some fancy climbing ladders, some might throw their chance for win Life can sometimes lift the spirit, shine the light, point the way The title of this podcast, which is 169 in the Reihenfolge, is Wooden Ships. And the um, theme is the way in which it is possible and which it is appropriate to relate to the world. In what positive way, if any, and I think that is the way it has to be qualified, does a person who has sort of wised up and seen the world for what it is, seen life on its own terms for what it is, in what way uh, does one um, 
find oneself uh, engaging with the world? It's an enormously ancient question and will always be asked, and it goes back to the all kinds of um, theories of retreat, theories of monasticism in different religions, theories of engagement, theories of justice, theories of the future, theories of messianism. It's a massive question because everybody asks it. And uh, the beautiful, relatively recent song by Burton Cummings called The Pretty Pictures, which has just been played in your hearing, is, uh, well, like all artistic statements, you can't pin it down. It's not systematic and it's not theoretical, but you could see it as a kind of ironic statement of a, of a man who sees things as they are, but he escapes into the pretty pictures. He sees the horror and the sadness and the difficulty of life and the aging of life, and he finds himself gravitating towards the pretty pictures, and it's a very beautiful song. And like all songs by Burton Cummings, it's unveiled, it's deep emotion, but it's not uh, stated, and it has no specific or principle uh, that underlies it or theory, but it captures through his uh, evocative uh, and odd uh, lyrics, sometimes his, his even his, his uh, off-kilter lyrics, it captures something, and this uh, captures the desire to see things as they're not. And I um, have uh, been aware of this uh, uh, quite a bit in relationship to my study of uh, Meister Eckhart. Now, Meister Eckhart was a uh, 13th and 14th century um, um, Christian theologian who's regarded as a fountainhead of original mystical thought in the West. And uh, I have been um, really trying to understand a vital aspect of Eckhart. Now, hold on. I'll give you just a little background, but not much, because you don't need it. I'll just go right into it and actually ask the question of, is it true? Is it actually uh, true, this very profound thing that Eckhart uh, is getting at in a section of his, uh, of his thought? Because Eckhart is almost never wrong. When you have lived and when you have thought, and everyone who's listening to this has lived and you are thinking, when you read Eckhart, you sort of say, uh-huh, to almost everything he says, because he was a man who was uh, understanding the nature of life and ultimacy at such depth and such insight and such intelligence that uh, you, there's almost nothing that he ever wrote that he actually wrote. There's a huge scholarship, you know, on whether this or that document is actually his. But the um, there's one uh, key thought in his um, in his um, overall perspective that I think actually it partakes of being a pretty picture because I simply can't relate to it experientially. I don't see it, the truth of it in experience. I see the truth of almost everything else he wrote and said, but this particular thing I don't. Let me uh, tell you where I came across this and how this argument has developed because it really has to do with my own approach to life at this point. What actually is it all about? Alfie, um, a friend of mine, someone very dear and very fine, uh, sent me two pictures um, not long ago. One of him at a very early stage in his career, kitted out in the uh, in the uh, costume, you might say, and the in the place in which he was uh, to uh, um, be a protagonist of this. Uh, Factor of this uh, of this career, and then he sent me a selfie very recently, and um, he was making a very powerful point: the contrast between what he thought he was going to be or what he was doing in his early twenties, 
with what he's actually, who he actually is now, looks and career path and the way it's gone and all that, with all the happiness that is in addition to the disappointments or the strangeness, the contrast between one picture and the present picture was overwhelming. And then I saw, it just was, it was an overwhelming picture of, of, the, of, of the effect or the, 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 the character of life to do this to a person. We're all in this together. I was looking at a picture that was taken on my wedding day. And it's a wonderful picture of Mary. She's sort of surrounded by the men, the, the groomsmen. And she's looking at the camera with her classic smile, just the most beautiful, vivacious, dear person. And uh, I looked at these four men. I looked at myself and I looked at one, let me count them, two, three of the groomsmen who were my friends who were there. And I just looked. This was in more than 40 years ago. And these men are all alive today and I'm in touch with all of them. And I just thought to myself, Golly, did any of these men, including myself, have any idea what life was going to bring? I mean, did every single person there um, has had such blows and such powerful um, brick walls and such terrible suffering without exception? One may have been very successful career-wise, but had a huge cross to bear in his relationship. Someone else may have been very successful in um, a relationship, but things went terribly badly. I mean, really badly with a child, an adult child, or uh, or both. You know, one one of my one one may be completely estranged from his adult children and completely estranged from his first wife, with no career to sort of balance it out. So each one of the people in this picture is like the selfie and the picture of the man that I was just talking about. Oh, what are we to make of the nature of life, and are we to, in fact, engage with it, given what we find out? And Rasselas, you know, the wonderful, wonderful, almost biblical, inspired book, The Prince of Abyssinia, Rasselas by Samuel Johnson, sort of ends ends where I'm beginning. He ends with some people who've gotten the lowdown about what life is, and then he finishes this beautiful short book, which he wrote in his maturity after the death of his mother to pay for her funeral expenses, Johnson sort of says, well, now what? You know, like the Finding Nemo. Now what? <laughs> what are we going to do now? And um, I was uh, very interested to go back, as I often do, to Eckhart and try to understand a distinction uh, that uh, a very famous scholar once made between Eckhart's understanding, which is exactly my understanding, that is to say I share his insight, or that is to say I ratify, my life ratifies the insight of Meister Eckhart, if only I had learned earlier um, what Meister Eckhart learned younger, but be that as it may, I resonate with it, but there's one aspect of it that people always indicate is distinctly Western, or sometimes it's even thought to be distinctly Christian, as over against a number of other themes in Eckhart, which seem to be at one with Eastern thought and especially uh, uh, Hindu and Buddhist thought. So I first <clears throat> I went to um, uh, the really great book on this subject from long ago by Rudolf Otto, the uh, German phenomenologist who um, some of us remember who wrote The Idea of the Holy, and he died in 1937. And uh, Otto, uh, one of his really outstanding works is called Mysticism East and West, a comparative analysis of the nature of mysticism. This is easy to procure, this book. It's a great classic. And in the book, Otto 
uh, attempts to say that there is a distinction between the mysticism of Sankara, who sort of he sees as the emblematic um, uh, exponent of the Hindu uh, or what he calls East, but let's the, the Hindu side, on the one the George Harrison side, you might say, the Christopher Isherwood side, and the mysticism of Meister Eckhart, which he um, uh, calls more the Western or Christian side. And what he uh, tries to say, and I'll read the section that it, it's in, is uh, he says. Um, he tries to distinguish between uh, uh, these two thinkers, Sankara and Meister Eckhart, who basically believed that the goal of life was to uh, find your actual real unity of the God, of, of that which is of God in you and that which is the one or the God larger and bigger than you, uh, that the one, that what is in you is that. Thou art that. That's the famous uh, phrase that Huxley picked up on so much. Now, um, don't you may say, oh, "Are you kidding? This is this is totally abstract." But it's actually not. It's everything I've been been trying to talk about. That the answer to the human problem is to go inward, and when we go inward, really go inward, we find that there is a um, something something very very deep and profound there that is sort of trying to find its way out, trying to find its its identity, trying to understand itself, and that is quite opposed to all the conceptions and the mental garbage and attic furniture that. Uh, we cannot clean out of our minds, the movie in the mind that never stops. And when we, through meditation in particular, so goes my thought, and it's a very ancient one, when we clear some of these mental constructs and ideations and things that just keep us going all the time, in our heads, we begin to sort of, something, we might call it the Holy Spirit, begins to speak to us from deep to deep. And we discover that ideas and uh, powerful impulses and important new directions and thoughts and spontaneous uh, impulses that are that that are not bound up with all the past garbage uh, and all the past patterns and paradigms but something new comes up especially through meditation i've said that in the panopticon um and uh, however um otto the german great wonderful german scholar who is a lutheran i say that cuz it's relevant um was he Lutheran? I mean, I certainly know he was Protestant. Yes, he would, he would have been Lutheran. He uh, believes that uh, Sankara um, clears away all the junk in the attic, which is sort of all the ideas that we get from the world and the media and the various brainwashing things of one sort that hit us in a million different ways and form us and shape us. And that the um, once we go inside and sort of become into contact with that, which the window that's been cleaned off, we, um, we really don't want to go back. In other words, that, that once we see that all this nonsense is all around us circulating, keeping us, holding us back and uh, telling us what to think and what to do and what to feel all the time, that once we get into contact with the deeper self, which is God, according to Sankara, that which is the, 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 the one, we don't want to go back. And we really can't stand going back because we see through all the illusory, futile, mean-spirited, egotistical, defensive, self-protective um, trivial and often really cruel actions of the world, whereas Otto argues at great length and very stirring length, um, Eckhart had a slightly different view. According to Otto, and I'm reading from page 175 of Mysticism East and West, Otto writes, speaking of 
Eckhart's view, at the moment when the soul passes from all works into complete devotion and composure, it achieves the real, quote, inward work, end of quote, the one, whole, true, undivided, and indivisible. Where this work is performed in the ground and the stillness of the soul, above space and time, it breaks forth in temporal works without ceasing, without compulsion, without seeking for reward, without secondary purpose, in the free outpouring of a new and truly liberated will, and it is as incapable of resting as is the creating God. Thus Eckhart becomes the panegyrist of the strong and active will and the powerful act of a voluntarism, which alone truly deserves this name. Concluding this section, he, he's, really, um, he's really kind of... Uh, um, um, commending Martha in the Mary Martha parable. This is a volunteerism which alone truly deserves the name to speak in a paradox. A person's quietism then becomes an active creativity. Now, I uh, want to think, I, I said at first, that seems like a false distinction. Um, that the that there's a oneness which wants to leave uh, the plurality and the manyness of the world's invasive images and forms and uh, a unity of oneness which sends us back into the world. You know, the Buddhists always talk about the raft, and the raft finally crosses over the river once you see the world as an illusion. And you sort of look back <coughs> for a while and you say, oh my gosh, um, you see these sort of people running around on the shore, but you just want to get away as much as possible. You still see all these people running around on the shore of the world, but the raft crosses over to a place of stillness and quiet where ultimately God, Christians might say, ultimately the Holy Ghost, is able to speak fully and truly through and in and by yourself. Now, um, Otto says that the West or the Christian mystic has the same vision of the ultimate, call it the contraption, call it the one, call it the absolute, but then is uh, stirred by these impulses to go back and be up and doing. Now, that struck me as a false, um, because I I didn't see it myself. I felt the further I got away from the world, the more... um, the less I wanted to go back into it. That was just how I felt. Now, that may be a psychological profile, you say. Well, it may be, but that's what I saw. I didn't, I wasn't compelled by Otto's distinction. And whenever I read Eckhart, who's extremely profound and wonderful and also expressed himself beautifully, you know, he was the one who kind of founded the German language together with um, Luther. Uh, Eckhart and Luther sort of are largely understood to have really um, first put down what became then Hochdeutsch, and that's a wonderful achievement. I mean, it's like a, it's like a combination of Gutenberg, John Wycliffe, and the King James Bible, and Thomas Cranmer, and William Shakespeare. Now, um, I identified much more in the distinction that Otto made between Sankara and Eckhart with this uh, wonderful sentence that I've quoted before by Gerald Hurd, uh, where <clears throat> Heard said in 1940 or something like that, I've got the essay in front of me, when he said, is mysticism escapism? He says, um, mysticism is a very old word, writes Gerald Heard. This is right before World War II. Escapism, one judges, a very new one. But the verb to escape is clear enough. It means to leave a position which has become impossible. Now, I think that's one of the best things he ever wrote. The verb to escape is clear enough. It means to leave a position which has become impossible. Now, before I give you my own brief thoughts on this, these are my thoughts, but I've told you now about um, 
the pretty pictures, uh, the images and forms and uh, pluralities that we the world gives us that we just walk right into and adopt, and then we're completely disillusioned by life, and we really are. We're, if we're just if, if just death, you may say, well, that's down. It's not down. Death, the sheer existence. Alone of death. What is the song by Eric Burden and the Animals? The mere existence of you, <laughs> the mere ex- the mere existence of death is enough to call into question everything you're doing. That that just is a fact. It's not anything that is uh, needing to be argued. Um, it can be denied, but it is it is reality. And then I talked about Otto, who claims there's a distinction between Eastern uh, mysticism, which wants to leave the world. What does he say? It explains the world. But not just explains it, it explains it away. Whereas um, in the West, it exp- people like um, these great mystics like um, Eckhart, it explains the world, but then it, it sort of you're filled by the virtue of the true self, the one, with a kind of voluntaristic compulsion, a will to go back and do. And you can see the strong um, tie here with Lutheran teaching that once you've been loved by grace and saved through the love that you receive by faith, you become your good works become natural. Instead of doing them under obligation, you want to do good and your heart is changed. It's not a matter of doing things out of duty, but doing things out of desire. And so you can see Otto's, um, out of fact, he refers to Luther several times in the book as a kind of a, a palimpsest. Is that the, I'm sure that's the wrong word, but something about, um, Luther and this teaching uh, connects uh, in Otto's mind. So anyway, I went back to study again the uh, sermons. They were written in German, and they were taken down in German in this huge controversy about whether they're authentic or not, but at least four of them are. And I went back to study the sermons of Meister Eckhart and the fragments. And then I came across with a... um, and I realized that Otto actually, after I'd sort of been fighting this, is, is actually right about Meister Eckhart. That is to say, I was wrong in trying to overly um, make of Eckhart into an escapist, much as I um, love everything about Eckhart that I had myself projected. Because of the famous quote hit me last night, I just I, I finally found it. It just suddenly came out of the paragraph, and the famous quote, quote, end of quote, that you've heard before from Eckhart is, what you sow in contemplation, you reap in love. What you sow in contemplation, you reap in love. And it's very clear from Eckhart's, um, this is really more his persona, his, 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 his uh, perspective, is that when you contemplate, that is when you meditate, the result of this union that you are able to have in some measure with God and the divine and the one through clearing out all the garbage by means of meditative practice, which I'm a great believer in, I mean a total believer in from experience, you're then drawn – you're then sent back um, by this movement of the true self within you to uh, initiate the works of love, Kierkegaard, St. Paul. And I read that what is sown in contemplation is reaped in action. That's the actual thing. What is sown in contemplation, you reap in action. And then there were two or three other references, and the sermons are considered mature uh, works of his and I thought to myself, you know, he he actually did believe this. He it, it is different. And then I, but I then I I circled it because everything that uh, Eckhart writes is true. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't. He's just he's one of the. It's like reading Samuel Johnson in uh, Rasselas. Nothing that is in that book is not accurate. And uh, so I circled it. It was the only place I circled it, and one other place with a question mark: Is it actually true? 
or is it a pretty picture? Is even the great Meister Eckhart possibly wanting to believe something that is certainly it's wouldn't don't you want to believe that? That what is sown in contemplation or disinterest or detachment or disattachment, whatever word you want to say, would be reaped <clears throat> you would reap in the works of love or in action, isn't that wouldn't that be you know, you you having been filled, the bucket having been filled, you go back and the water in the bucket is poured out, and then you go back to the one, to your meditation, to to God in in the stillness, and you're filled up again, and then you go back and and, that, and that's a very compelling argument. But is it true? That's my question. I've been thinking about that intensively in recent years and in recent months and in recent hours. And here's what I think. I don't think it is. It's not true of my experience. And Eckhart was wonderful, by the way, in one sense. He, he would talk, tell his people, he said, don't, don't, uh, don't just think that I'm, don't just accept what I say. I'm speaking to you more out of experience than out of sacred text. He actually says this. He says, no one could love the Bible more than I, but when I preach, I speak primarily out of my experience, not out of a sacred text. Oh, what a wonderful thing to say. And his experience was inspired. So his experience is, is, is my experience. It's like Kerouac. It's, I, I'm the same. The, the archaeology is similar when you get to that deeper level. But I, what made him say this? I feel it's a pretty picture because it's not my experience. Now, let me say a little bit more about this. And I'm going to close with uh, a, uh, a song that you'll recognize that reflects this view. I don't see my um, desire to make the world a better place is um, not um, at all uh, what it once was. And um, it's not for lack of love, although it is for lack of distance. I uh, know it is, it is because of distance. It's uh, I'm just not at all um, remotely believing that any uh, difference can actually be made by human action. Now, I want to say that what I think that great depth of what Eckhart was sort of trying to want to say and that was bubbling out of him was that there is a sense in which when you understand the world for it is for what it is sometimes you have flashes of love and flashes of a new compassion to a failed experiment which is life you uh, life in this world you have some compassion to it herd was dying and isherwood and his partner don bichardi uh, uh bacardi uh, uh, people pronounce it different ways um I found out that Don Bacardi uh, did a, um, a, a painting of my sister. I was so touched and delighted to know that the famous Don Bacardi had actually uh, – that my sister uh, uh, was a model for one of his portraits. And um, when they went to visit Hurd towards the very end, Hurd was very handicapped and had several strokes. And they said, well, now that you're – they said to Gerald, said wonderful Christopher Isherwood, Gerald, uh, now that you're sort of – phasing out more and more, how do you see Maya, that, that is the world of illusion, how do you see the world out there now that you're sort of halfway out of it now? <coughs> do you see it with compassion or do you see it with, with uh, coldness or aloofness? <coughs> and he said, well, actually, um, he said, and he, his words are garbled, and Isherman wasn't quite sure what he said, but he reported it very beautifully in a journal. He said, no, I, um, I, I, I see it actually with love, uh, the more so. And that struck uh, Isherwood and Don. I see it with love the more so. I think you do see it with love. I think the character of Friedhelm in Generation War that I've been talking so adulatingly about, and it's really good. I mean, really see that. But see the whole thing because it, 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 it relies on an emotional time charge. It's like a, it's like a, 
a charge. It, I mean, uh, an elect, uh, 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 it has to travel the, the, the light, the unsend and the, the uh, what do you call it, the, the wick, the long wick, the trail of dynamite to blow up the charge uh, has to travel a long distance before you get to the final power of Friedhelm's uh, final um, situation. And um, the long travel that Friedhelm, the one who's so disillusioned, uh, I mean completely disillusioned right from the beginning, but then his disillusion turns to a kind of non-resisting action, some of which to us is horrifying. I mean, he does one particular thing. He does several things which are following orders, but he does, I mean, in the formal sense of the word, not in the cultural cliche. But then he, he one order he gets, he shouldn't obey, and he obeys it. And it's a, a very shocking. <clears throat> but... Um, when it all balances, comes out, he comes out uh, of a uh, generation war with an extraordinary sacrifice. He, 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 he hits a bunt, and uh, the bunt is coming out of disillusionment. In other words, there is, uh, out of the fruit of his disillusionment, which is not rooted in contemplation so far as we know, but it is rooted in disillusionment, he, he, he hits a bunt, and uh, they were expendable. You know, Something very powerful uh, it takes place through his love. Uh, it's a kind of love that you probably wouldn't call it love, but it ends up being a kind of, you'll see the way it's directed, the way it's filmed. He's in touch with something very, very deep when he makes this bunt. Well, um, this is what I uh, wanted to say. Of course, I can see Hurd's point and Friedhelm's embodiment in Generation War. I can see a certain love. Occasionally, I look back in my prior life or institutions or um, situations or contexts in which I was very active, and I see a kind of... Um, I, I do have a kind of uh, compassion sometimes for certain situations of my own professional life, certain people, certain actions, and I feel very strongly for them. And there are times when my heart actually is touched, and I don't want to say it breaks for people, but it it's it 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 quakes, shake me, wake me when it's over. Uh, it uh, something does happen, and I know what Gerald Heard meant. But the desire to go and do, the desire to actually return. Now, Meister Eckhart said it. But I don't believe it. I don't believe that someone that has had the disillusioning uh, experience that I myself have felt actually desires to go back and, and return, albeit d don't rule out the possibility that at some point you may desire to do something that looks like it. You may, you may be asked to do something that you do that looks like a return, uh, but you didn't even ask a question of it. It was a spontaneous voluntaristic in the truly voluntaristic sense it came upon you it befell you um and and you did it without even thinking about it as freedom does and that i accept i do not accept if you want to put it as a maxim that what is sown in contemplation is reaped in action let me say one other thing and then i'll finish this is going a little bit longer than usual but not much um the uh eckhart himself um was no stranger to this, and I wonder what he thought about what he had said about contemplation and action at the very end of his life, because, you know, he was tried by the church and condemned. Eckhart, you know, this remarkable, deep Christian man, was tried by his church and condemned for heresy, and we don't know anything what happened. We, we, we know the year in which he died. I want to say 1328, something like that. I know he was condemned in 1327. Which is official. I mean, we have his defense. We have the indictments against him. It was like a Jansenist type of thing, or Luther at Worms, but before Luther at Worms, or Jan Hus. He wasn't burned at the stake. It wasn't that degree of heresy, but he was uh, found guilty of heresy. You could say that he was in a strict sense from a Franciscan point of view, because it was oddly enough the wonderful Franciscans who got him, Eckhart being a Dominican. 
But imagine that. I wonder what he thought after all this, after all that had happened. I wonder what he thought. I was thinking about, um, I spent an awful lot of time trying to follow up from a hugely dramatic event in the history of my own uh, Christian church that happened uh, not too many years ago that created an incredible uh, tsunami uh, left, right, and center in the church and created lasting division and a great many lives that were wrecked, or at least professions and ministries that were wrecked. And recently, uh, sort of, uh, the, it, it, it was revealed to be a kind of futile exercise because the, the, the main uh, person at the heart of it seems to have changed his mind about one personal aspect of it. In uh, I'm not making any judgment about pro or con, but you sort of say to yourself, what? <laughs> after all this, you know, after after all this fighting, after all these destructions, after all this to 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 ratify something that um, you um, brought on us uh, that many thought was and is wonderful. And then you sort of then then you change your mind about a vital aspect of it, not in principle, but in practice. And of course, you can rationalize it in a million ways and say, well, actually, it's, I'm defending my right to do this as opposed to do the, the opposite of it. And all that may be true, but um, you sort of say to yourself, what? After all this? I, I was thinking when I read about this decision that's been made that seems to be 180 degrees from what it was all about, Alfie. And I was thinking of the scene in Generation War when Friedhelm and a young recruit who's had a touching, touching young philosophy student, um, they do a brilliant uh, action and fight their way through just the two of them against overwhelming Russian odds and lick the Russians. In other words, they, they capture the goal of their assault while everybody else got killed and couldn't do it, a big squad of German soldiers. And these two guys with sheer chutzpah, sheer guts from somewhere irrational are able to do what no one else could do in large, large numbers and they take the fort. It's like a Sergeant York type of situation. And uh, but when they get there, after all the death and all the killings, and so many people have died in this battle, and so many, it just, it's just—it's disaster. It's a—it's a pyrrhic victory, and um, uh, they get there, and uh, and uh, Friedhelm bursts into tears, and he says, "You mean we, for this? We, we've done all—all all these men have died for this, and when you see it, you'll see. I mean, for for this result, this is what it was all about. All these men have died." And he laughs and he cries and he breaks down completely, and it's so powerful. Who in the world wouldn't think that? who is for the slightest bit detached in that situation. And it's really a true thought. And so I thought of Meister Eckhart. I thought of my own, uh, you know, the, 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 the comings and goings in my own professional context, you know, some years ago, which are now behind me. But nevertheless, I thought, my gosh, what a strange uh, turn. And uh, what does it say? Uh, do I really want to go back to a situation that can turn to that degree? And then everybody says, oh, no sweat. Um, you know, just kidding. Um, this, that, and the other thing, and, and it, don't you dare say anything, you know. So you don't. Um, but you wonder to yourself, like Friedhelm, and what did Eckhart think? So my thought is, uh, get out while you can. Remember what Hurd said: um, escape simply means to leave a situation that's impossible. It, uh, that's what you should do. Get out of. We got to get out of this place. Come. Completement, völlig, total. Um, get out. And yet, of course, be open to the possibility 
of A New Hope, A New Idea. You know, when worlds collide, the science fiction movie, when they actually do, finally the whole world is destroyed, but they do get to, to the other planet and it, a new life is starting. That's a real possibility. But um, I, I don't think that what is uh, sown in contemplation is reaped in action, at least the way that sounds on the surface, unless maybe in retrospect you can say something like it. So we end today with a little... Um, number that um, inculcates this idea completement, and it's called by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, their showstopper from Woodstock, Wooden Ships. Thank you very much.
Blowing warm out of the south on my shoulder 